Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong. I can change a diaper with one hand. Jack, back, Jack. And Joe Getty. Joey, baby. I love you, tiny people. Armstrong and Getty. But I know this. They're loco. So it's a hustle. Yeah, it's a hustle. Ah! And now, here's Armstrong and Getty. So I was reading about this the other day, and I thought you might find it interesting. Everybody's predicting that China will pass the U.S. as the biggest economy on Earth by 2030 or whatever. You know, different people throw out different numbers. But uh, this piece uh, written by, who is this written by? It's really good. I'll tell you later. But the nightmare scenario for Xi is that China could follow the same trajectory as Japan also touted as a potential challenger to the U.S. before it crashed three decades ago. combination of reform failure, international isolation, and financial crisis could halt China before it reaches the top. It's also worth mentioning, mentioning that China's official GDP data is almost certainly exaggerated, and so they have a bigger gap than it appears. And then they go into some technical stuff about the three factors that determine an economy's growth rate. That's a workforce. Uh, capital stock, everything from factories to transport infrastructure to communications networks. And finally, there's productivity or how effectively those first two can be combined. And in each of those areas, China faces an uncertain future at best, like their workforce. They have a demographic nightmare going on thanks to their longtime one-child policy. Nobody's having kids. And if fertility stays low, it's projected to shrink by more than 260 million people in the next 30 years. And and they mentioned that China's trying to, they've raised the limits and encouraging people. And they quote a young Chinese worker who says, the reason I haven't bought three Rolls Royces is not because the government wouldn't let me. In other words, saying children are expensive and, and, and you know, challenging. And I'm just, uh, they don't have a culture of having Big families. In fact, they hardly have a culture of having families at all. And it takes a long time to turn that sort of thing. Hmm. Then they mentioned the outlook for capital spending isn't quite so bleak, although they've overbuilt and there are ghost towns full of empty buildings, six-lane highways, so it's not clear if they need more anytime soon. And then they get to the key part. All of China's rise over the last 40 years or so has been with the full enthusiastic cooperation of the world economic community, particularly the Western democracies. That is changing rapidly, including and, and notably, including for a long time, it, it, turning a blind eye to them stealing billions of dollars worth of intellectual property. They would steal all this stuff and we'd just let them because we thought it was in our best interest somehow. God, what a dumb idea that was. But uh, now, at least, we're calling them out whenever they do it. Right. You know, it's like I'm running a car dealership, and this guy comes in, he buys a lot of cars, but every time he's in there, he steals, you know, a photocopier or something like that. It's barely worth it, but we keep doing business because he buys so many cars. But they point out uh, global ties are starting to fray. Recent Pew survey found 76% of Americans had an unfavorable opinion of China. It's a record high. And then they aren't alone. The blame over the origins of COVID, mounting concerns about human rights in Xinjiang, uh, Hong Kong's draconian national security law have all helped darken the global view of China's rise. And if ties with the U.S. and its allies continue to fray, the cross-border flow of ideas and innovations that they steal so much is going to begin to dry up. So it'll be interesting to watch. But China's uh, 
rocket fuel is starting to be withheld appropriately by the West. Because we finally figured out their game. I was just reading a scholarly paper by this gal who used to teach at their indoctrination university, and she ended up defecting to the West. And she said, "What? Uh, who was the guy who wrote the 100-year the marathon? I don't uh, remember his name. Mer- Herman Melville. That's right. Um, but he was talking about Michael how naive. Pillsbury. Michael Pillsbury, yeah. He was uh, with the Nixon administration when they opened China. And was uh, briefly in the bakery business. They called him the Doughboy. But anyway, uh, he pointed out how naive we've been. She said the same thing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. China has been smiling at you, but 100% planning to stab you in the back. It has nothing to do with friendship. We're just using you. So I think everybody's hip to that. Nixon did not open. Funny, one of the biggest pieces of American political history has been wrong for half a century. Nixon didn't open China. They lured us in. It's completely wrong. We were wrong all these years. Anyway, that's one story. Uh, I got my bike stolen over the weekend, which uh, was really annoying to me. It was a very expensive bike, and I really liked it. I bought it used on eBay, so I didn't pay the full price for it, but it was still a very expensive bike. And um, I grew up, uh, I'd never heard of locking a bike until I was in my mid to late 20s. I grew up uh, in a town where people rode bikes around and never locked them. Then even when I went to college in a different town, nobody locked their bikes. I never saw a bike really? lock in my wow. life. Heck no. Heck wow. no. That's great. Just just unthinkable. I left my motorcycle helmet on my motorcycle my whole life until I was like 25 um, and moved to a big city. It's just, just crime is so, so cultural. Mm-hmm. It's so much about culture. And we have now created a culture in this country, uh, or we're working on creating a new crime culture. We're going backwards, as we all know. It's why 75% of Americans believe crime is on a rise, and a majority of Americans think crime is on the rise where they live. Um, we're, uh, we've turned a blind eye to uh, petty theft and everything like that, and now the culture's turned around. But anyway, I was very disappointed. We went to the swimming, swimming pool for the first time this year with the kids. We all rode our bikes over there, which is kind of a fun family thing to do. I even locked them up. And uh, somebody who knows bikes spotted my bike, somehow apparently unlocked my lock, took my bike, and left my kids' bikes there. Didn't even take my kids' bikes. So somebody was looking for high-end bikes. They unlocked the lock? They didn't they cut must it or have, anything? They must have, because the, the when I got back, after we got done swimming, my kids' bikes were still locked up with the same lock. And my bike was gone. That's odd. But yeah, it is. And then I talked to a buddy of mine who said, oh, those bike locks? He said, look at YouTube videos. He said, me and my daughter did this for fun weekend. One weekend, we went over YouTube videos. You can learn how to pick one of those bike locks. Most of them are easy to pick. couple of tiny little tools that you can buy in almost anybody. He said, it's, it's, it's kind of a fun project to learn how to open all those things up. Wow, I had no idea. Yeah, so it turns out bike locks are like most locks and security that we all have. It makes us feel better about ourselves. It, it's a tiny barrier. It's like roots out probably the bottom tier of opportunists. Yeah, mo- most people don't know that the average door can be kicked in by a medium sized man. And you feel like you're safe when you put your little hook lock on it or whatever. Apparently, bike yeah. locks are the same thing. Anyway, it was very disappointing to me. And so I went around to bike stores and stuff like that and asked what happens to him. And he says, usually they get they take him out of town uh, and get swap them into a different town. And it's interesting to me that there's a cross section of people that. No high-end bikes and are willing to steal. Unless they're just bike thieves. I mean, they're not like bike enthusiasts. Maybe sure, it's they're, maybe they're just thieves. How much mm-hmm. money could you make off of that? I mean, it seems like it would be so much work 
to travel around towns trying to spot bikes and then turn them, I'm guessing, for, you know, not getting near what you should out of them. Um, if you put that much effort with all the help wanted out there, if you put that much effort into a real job, you wouldn't have to look over your shoulder all the time. Wouldn't you? Yeah. Well, yeah, I, yeah, I guess. Although they probably, especially in your blue states, have figured out that the risks are incredibly low. And even if they get caught, what are you going to bust them for a single bike? I mean, my, I bought a really expensive mountain bike used. And so at this point, uh, even a public defender could argue it's a misdemeanor to steal it. It's probably worth a thousand bucks or, or 1500, but they could say it's 950. And so th- there's no risk. Yeah. They get essentially a ticket. And if you, if you go around, they know the brands, it's their business. And, uh, and, and you steal, I don't know, say, uh, 10 bikes a day worth 500 to a thousand dollars. That's a pretty good paycheck. Yeah, you're right about that, though. And part of the contributing to the culture, part of it is just, uh, well, it all fits together. But the fact that you're, if you get caught in the act, if I caught, if I walked out while they were stealing my bike, almost certainly nothing would have happened to them. Well, so what's the risk involved? Right. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I think every, every public pool, every library, every park where bikes are stolen ought to hire a couple of burly guys with ball bats. And they find somebody stealing a bike, they break both their arms. Hey, uh, good news, you're not going to have to sign any forms because we're not going to charge you. But you come back again, we're going to break your arms on site. All right, have a good day. Bye. And then I go inside to the swimming pool and tell them what happened. And I said, you see, you got, my, my son noticed you got cameras out there. Do you have that footage? He said, yeah, they're not hooked up to anything. <laughs> There's a shot. I said, well, those, they aren't really doing much then, are they? Security uh, theater. Yeah, I'd never even thought about that. If I had caught the guy in the act of stealing my bike and called the police, I don't even know if they'd have showed up. And if they had, uh, it would, wouldn't have been much of a crime. So, right. You know, wh- oh, yeah, you could have stood there and talked to the guy. You say, go ahead. And then the other end of the annoyance of this whole thing is there's such a bike shortage, just like there's a shortage of everything. I was shopping for bikes over the weekend. There's practically hardly any bikes in the whole, whole country. I mentioned this stuff a couple of times. We uh, told my son we were going to get him a, a bike for his uh, uh, for Christmas. That was many months ago. There are hard, there's like three kids' bikes in the entire United States. Every wow. bike shop in the country is waiting for bikes to trickle in one by one, and they're usually spoken for by the time they get there. And everything oh. is like that. I got a garage full of bikes. I got to see what I can oh, get for Oh, yeah. Used bikes are just like used cars are at a premium right now. Huh. Hmm. Anyway. My greed bone just started humming. Um, What did you tease or something we were going to talk about when we come back here? My nah, memory's faulty on me. Oh, the uh, cardboard beds at the Olympic Village designed <laughs> to uh, discourage the old uh, two-person trampoline. What? What? That's old, a... Uh, the old pole vault, if you hear me talking. No, I don't hear you talking. Armstrong and Getty. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. Shooting in that summer depression. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Speaking of folks leaving various towns, the according to the Orlando Business Journal, uh, Disney Corp is moving 2,000 jobs from Southern California to Orlando, building a big new campus. Uh, various figures are denying that it has anything to do with the fact that one uh, state is extremely uh, uh, business positive and friendly, and the other practically punishes you for for even trying to be in business. Uh, but it's pretty clearly at least part of it. 
And finally, the Nevada woman we accused, well, I didn't accuse her, but read about it last week, accused of breaking into a dental office, stealing cash from it, and pulling more than a dozen teeth, despite not having a medical license. Jeez, that makes my mouth hurt thinking about it. I'm not sure why you'd say more than a dozen teeth when it was 13 teeth. That is clearly more than a dozen, but why wouldn't you just say freaking know. 13? I don't well, know. And, and journalism is so bad. You know, it's, it's a bunch of kids uh, fresh out of college looking for a job told to produce clickbait. And then they have no facts, and they don't ask the obvious questions. Well, I've, I've dug up some more information. This woman performed a procedure to extract 13 teeth from one individual. Barbaric! Oh. And, and used anesthetic disposed of by the dental office. That'd be apparently. all of my teeth. Yeah. So, I, but again, okay, I'll, I'll just read it to you. And then That's I'll get right, to my I have 13 teeth. Well, I, I wasn't going to call you on that. It's 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 good. It's Luck, thirteen more than none. Luckily, a good chunk of them match up because if they don't yeah. match up. You can't chew meat, but enough of them match up that I can chew. You know, your mouth is half full. That's the way I yeah, look at it. Sure, you, look you at could the... say, "Look, he's lost nineteen teeth," or you could say, "He still has 13. You can look you know, at your mouth half full or half empty, depending on your view of life. My exactly. mouth is half full of teeth. You know, several of the thirteen you got left are uh, brownish. But, you know, the brownish. Well, the one's pretty brown. But anyway. <laughs> uh, the disturbing incident came to light during an investigation into a May 3rd break-in at the Reno dentist's office. And after hours alarm sent deputies to the scene that night, they found an open, drawer, open door, a broken window, a disturbed cash drawer. Uh, the burglar stole nearly $23,000 in cash and checks, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but it's not clear at all in this article Who's old toothless Bill in this scenario? <laughs> Whose freaking teeth did she yank? <sighs> Was it somebody who had a lot of dental problems and she said, you know, I saw a YouTube video, I'll give it a try? Well, if and- it- <laughs> Was it somebody who came in needing a whole bunch of teeth pulled and so it wasn't that shocking? Or is it like me going in for a cleaning and all of a sudden they, and hey, we're going to have to pull like a third of your teeth? What? <laughs> or was it somebody who knew this woman who's... <sighs> Unfortunate-looking gal. Inger. Was she trying to even up things in the world by uh, making more toothless people out there? I don't know if her mother fell in love with a wild hog or what, but it's, it's unf- again, unfortunate-looking <laughs> gal. Um, so it's not clear whether this guy, this individual, came with her and said, God, my teeth hurt. Would you do me a favor, would you? Can you yank out all my teeth? I'm sure we can rummage around in the garbage and find a little half-used uh, canisters of nitrous oxide. But anyway, in answer to Jack's question from last week, it was one individual who's now light 13 teeth. Mm. But questions remain. What is it with all the dating shows where contestants can't see each other? There are now a whole bunch of those dating shows where you either wear a mask or you're behind a wall or you're in the dark or something. Hmm. Dating shows where you can't see the other person. I find that whole thing pretty fascinating. You would have to really mess with your mind if you... Had a whole bunch of dates with somebody you never saw, and you just came to believe, man, this is, a, I really, really like this person. Like wow. everything about him. And then you see them in your brain, and not all of this is um, superficial. We've talked about this a lot. I, you're, you're, we're designed to make babies with certain people. We just are. Women, in my case. That's, well, but, you know, you can line up eight 
objectively attractive women, very, very attractive, but there's a couple that make you go, oh, my God, I'm in love with her. And the the rest of them, you don't. What's Mm -hmm. that all about? Well, there's something going on there. Nobody really completely understands. And if you and if you saw them and for whatever reason, your brain says, no, you don't want to mate with those people. And but in your 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 rational part, you've already made the decision. No, no, no. We're a good match. I really like this person. I'll be friends. Wouldn't that be lovely? And do it. (laughs) With benefits, if you're going to go there and you shouldn't go there anyway. But if you're going to go there, a little manners, please. Okay. I don't know. So, so the idea I was when you said dating show, I was picturing like, like the dating game or, or the newlywed game. Da, da, you're da, there da. in a TV studio. Okay, but no, this is actually you're going out on dates with the uh, bemasked person. Well, no, well, these are these are TV shows contestants. They got all kinds of different ways to put it right. together. But just in general, I think that's interesting. The idea of the most important part we would all we tell ourselves or say is that who they are. Their personality. But then the way your the rest of your brain would say, no, eh, 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 do not mate with this person. Or maybe it goes the other direction. Maybe you even like them more once you see them. I don't know. I'm surprised, given the, the mysteries of love and how they've uh, fascinated humankind since the beginning, I'm surprised there aren't like major university studies going on of this stuff. Maybe there are. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, why do... Two people become especially attracted to each other, as opposed to all the other people they run into yep. in their lives. Right? No kidding. The the mysteries of love, dude. They They're might very... they, they might just figure out there are like eight different pheromones, and you know this one responds to two of the others in the opposite sex. In the uh-huh. case of you know opposite sexiness. Armstrong and Getty. From the Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. And now, here's Armstrong and Getty. Stoners Uh, at Amazon! So you're fired up about this, huh? No. Your package could end up in Dubuque. They're so high. Oh, you ordered you're in Dubuque. That's a poor uh, example. You ordered pencils and they send you a book because the guy's stoned. I'm just stoned. Ah, oh, listen to that. Amazon said Tuesday it'll stop testing job seekers for marijuana. Man, because well, you don't know if they got high three days ago or uh, on their way in. The second largest private employer in the United States behind who? Who's the biggest private employer in the United States? Walmart. Walmart is correct. Hmm. Uh, but Amazon is second. Is making the change as states legalize uh, marijuana. It just obviously needs to happen. It can't be legal to smoke pot in your state, but you won't hire anybody who does that. That makes no sense whatsoever. They will develop a test at some point to figure out whether you're stoned. You know? Currently if you're stoned, stoned, yeah, if you're stoned on the job, that's no good. Bring up Taco Bell and see how quickly the other person says it's a good idea. That's your test. <laughs> but I've, I've never taken a test at work to see if I'm drunk. It's just your behavior that, in spite of my urging management to <laughs> conduct one, it's your behavior. What's to keep somebody from getting all potted up on weed and then getting behind the wheel? Nothing. Answer Not- that, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they need. Do they need a test at work? You know, I this may shock you. I actually uh, I smoked the the hippie cabbage uh, at one point. I was abducted by uh, armed lunatics who forced me to. And I actually there were times that I did not feel like 100% sharp the next morning either. 
Well, and if so, I was doing but, some sort of job that depended on sharpness. Worse than being hungover? I, uh, I've done uh, this job uh, and many others so hungover <laughs> I can barely stand. <laughs> <laughs> well, luckily, nothing's at stake here, really. <laughs> we're, not, we're not manufacturing surgical implements here. <laughs> Hand me the scalpel. Wait a minute. This is a spoon. This is, this is as dull as a spoon. Is, is being hungover from pot worse in terms of being productive than being hungover from booze? I don't know the answer. Oh, that, gosh, I don't know. My experience would be no. no. Okay. My abduction was many years ago. Similar? No, not even close. Okay. Uh, depends how hungover you were in either scenario. But anyway, uh, speaking of Amazon, as they say in Britain, I found this uh, story interesting on its own. And then as an example of what Jack was talking about yesterday, the uh, what you call it thing, the uh, Goodhart law, where once, Sean, please. Uh, when a measure becomes a target, it ceases to become a good measure. Right. Or it ceases you, to be a good measure. You gain the system to just try to hit that target. And you and human nature apparently is you will do things that are counterproductive for the company sure. or the organization yeah. to reach that target. And, and the great divide, I think, is do you understand how people really behave or do you live in a dream world where they'll behave the way you think they should behave? It's former realism, but the story is Amazon had the policy that managers are expected to, either voluntarily or through termination, get rid of a specific number of employees every year. They call it the unregretted attrition rate. Um, and measuring it can be an important tool for helping managers gain perspective. If a manager knows it's normal to lose a certain percentage of employees each year, they're going to think, all right, who are our 90% best? Mm-hmm. And we're going to keep them. Look at the other side of the coin, if you like. The problem, though, is that's not what what's happening. Instead, managers are hiring people they otherwise wouldn't or shouldn't just so they can later fire them to hit their goal, which completely defeats sure. the point. Obviously, since if the metrics based on sound business principles, there are people keeping their jobs who shouldn't at the expense of sacrificial lambs. If you want to incentivize your managers to a specific goal, it's got to be that specific goal. It's got to be productivity. You can't have an artificial measure. People will game the system to meet that goal. Graduation rates was an example we used earlier. There was some talk of a coronavirus baby boom. Well, if everybody stay at home, there's going to be so many more babies. I've always thought that sort of thing is just so stupid. (laughs) I mean... Is that the way you all plan your families? Just whenever you get around to doing it? (laughs) When and how many kids you have? (laughs) If there were no effective methods of birth control or you didn't believe in it, then okay, maybe. Maybe, but not even then. You know, we got enough kids, so we're not going to do this again or or whatever. Um, But, well, it turns out that is a dumb idea. Initial stats show a significant drop. In December 2020, births compared to a year earlier, America has entered a pandemic-inspired baby bust. Several states that keep track of births in near real time, as well as a number of hospitals, recorded significant drops in December 2020 birth rates compared to the same period a year ago, including Florida down 8%, Ohio down 7%, Arizona down 5%. 8%'s a significant drop. That's huge. Well, and and uh, doesn't this ring true to everybody? I know various creative artists. I ask them, you, you writing? You're working on anything? And everybody's like, no. I just don't feel like it. Can't play any shows. I, don't, I just don't feel like it. 
Hmm. And, you know, I think that malaise, because come on now, Jimmy Carter, there is no doubt a lot of the world is feeling the COVID malaise. It's a fun suck. This is a bad situation, said a sociologist and and demographer for the University of Maryland. The declines we're seeing now are pretty substantial. Um, Hmm. Clearly. Also drops in Google searches for pregnancy and sex-related topics. There's a drop in Google searches for sex-related topics. That's the dumbest piece of information I've ever heard. Yeah, I don't think you need to go that deep. If babies aren't being born, (laughs) the rest of it's just details. Yeah. People make long-term decisions when they have confidence about the future, and if there's anything that undermines confidence about the future, it's the massive pandemic. Yeah, I think it's more of uh, people in the modern world, for the most part, plan families when and how many kids they're going to have. And now is, you know, if you were thinking about it, why would you jump into it now? We don't have any idea what the hospital is going to be like. We don't have any idea. I mean, baby showers, just why? Schools aren't open. Well, and and not to get overly uh, poetic about it, but I just think passions have been cooled for a lot of things during the vid. No, I always want to do it. Same level of doing it. Oh, boy. Yeah. Oh, wow. I Jeez, always want to. Nothing's, going, nothing's you, going to cool my passions. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, Joe. You mentioned passions. He brings up doing it. Yeah. Oh, yes. okay. I mean, come on. We're, we're, we're talking romance. We're talking. The Shakespeare of the airwaves over here. I want to do it. I still want to do it. You want to do it? <laughs> wow. Whatever happened yeah, to seduction? Just... Yeah, thank you, Sean. <laughs> thank you, brother. But just there's this just this, this, this shadow of blah and uh yeah and ug is over yeah. everything. Yeah, it's the way I feel. Yeah, mailbag. <laughs> oh, that's right. Our freedom-loving quote of the day from the great historian writer Shelby Steele. Conservatism is the perfect antidote to underdevelopment. Its commitment to individual responsibility, education, hard work, personal initiative, traditional family values, and free markets is a universal formula for success in a free society. And don't let the woke fools tell you it ain't. Because it is. Says me. Michael, I'm going to ask for a transmission from this jaunty tune to the traditional Armstrong and Getty music for... The haiku. Oh, the dumbest of all poetry. Gosh, I needed some structure. Oh, jeez. A note from Cody. Gentlemen, I'm listening to the podcast from Monday. Right in the intro, you talked about poetry, and I realized I missed you doing haikus. Oh, man. Well, Cody, we'd be delighted to accommodate you. The beautiful Japanese art of the haiku, the five syllables, the seven to five. Sean, would you agree it's the very limitations that sets the artist free? Without the restraints, there is no creativity. Okay. Mm. <laughs> That's what I told my wife as I put the hey fur handcuffs on her. Hey, hey. <laughs> what now? All right, here's the haiku. <clears throat> Haiku's anger, Jack. This is reason enough, friends, to bust them out. What? Word. <laughs> he almost jumped in. There's only four syllables. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> the beautiful Japanese art of the haiku. <laughs> Moving along to the correspondence proper. Uh, let's see. Uh, oh, this is Joe, the consultant. Uh, I'm positive Sean's ridiculous mascot bracket analysis has a higher accuracy percentage than my brother-in-law's actually meticulously thought-out bracket. He plays pays close attention to college basketball. Watching him melt down was particularly hilarious. 
Uh, WJLHCJLP with Jesus like hair comes Jesus likes power. Not to that, <laughs> no, Joe. No, 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 that's not cool, Joe. No, no, not the this, Bible. especially not this close to Easter. I'm much yeah. more Samson than anything. There you go. Yeah, Nobody's offended yeah. by that. Exactly. Uh, let's see, Joe. You guys came up with the real reason for illegal immigration 20 years ago on your show. Yeah, and uh, Nate, we haven't forgotten it either. Uh, well, his explanation of it, which is our explanation of it, is uh, we our birth rate is declining uh, rapidly in the United States. We are not replacing our population uh, quickly enough to prop up the Ponzi scheme that is Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid. We don't have enough young workers for all the old folks, and so we've had to import uh, brown people uh, from Central America to pay into Social Security. And nobody's going to prop it up the scam. And if that's what's going on, nobody's going to say that out loud. Right. Plus, the right needs wants the cheap labor. The left wants what they perceive to be probable Democratic voters. And so the powerful really have no incentive to end this. Plus, having it as an issue is a great fundraiser. Oh, yeah. Absolutely true. Getty. But resist, we must. The Armstrong and Getty Show. From the meet the new boss, same as the old boss department, I've got a great story. What are you threatening with, with, with Sean, if we run out of material? Uh, I've got the 10 best Star Wars villains ranked, and they have General yeah. Grievous at number 10. <laughs> oh. He uses lightsabers, and he took out Jedi's This segment looks pretty solid, so just rest easy. Next one, a little shaky, though, so don't give up hope. So the um, publisher of the Washington Post did a long opinion piece yesterday on the meet the new boss, same as the old boss, really going after the Biden administration hard. Publisher of the Washington Post, Fred Ryan, slimed, slammed, not slimed, slammed the Biden administration in an opinion piece published for seeking email records belonging to journalists, calling its action an unprecedented assault on American news organizations. Oh, yeah, I read about this. It is pretty troubling. You have not heard this because it's not him going after Trump. Trump with the, uh, you know, all the uh, going after the media and how dangerous it was and people crying tears on MSNBC. He's the new Hitler. He's the new Hitler. And the Biden administration is doubling down on a lot of this. Um. Uh, bah, 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 bah. Well, you remember the Obama administration did stuff like this yes. as well, and yes. was incredibly not transparent. Yes, the press their lap dogs just lip licked their heels. Um. So Ryan, the publisher of the Washington Post, writing about how the the Trump administration had gone after the phone records of some journalists, and uh, and there was a real pushback against that. And evil. Yeah, they're Trump trying is, to figure out who was receiving leaks. Uh, Trump is like Hitler. We heard over and over again, and Biden said that he would not allow this sort of thing that was un-American. Fred Ryan of the Washington Post writes, however, the egregious acts by the outgoing Trump Justice Department and the apparent doubling down on them during the Biden administration should alarm all Americans, regardless of political persuasion. Ryan said the actions of the former administration and the subsequent expansion under the Biden administration posed a threat to Americans' ability to keep powerful officials in check. Hmm. It's an interesting question, and, and I'd love to, to assemble a panel of really smart and ethical people to discuss. Okay, if there are illegal leaks happening um, from government officials, and they are going to journalists... 
Is there a legitimate where does where does the uh, where does the balance lie, the proper balance between the proper investigation of illegalities that betray the trust of the American people, by the way, and the First Amendment protection for the free press? That is an interesting topic, and it's got nuances. It's not, uh, you know, open and shut to me, but it should be treated the same way when Biden's doing it as when Trump is doing it. Heck yeah, and my tendency is I'm noodling it through kind of quick and dirty style. Is uh, you got to protect the free press. The free press is the uh, the penicillin for the 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 infection of corrupt government, and we can't we can't play with that. In, in spite of the fact that they do a crappy crappy job these days, at least a lot of them do. Bomb administration went after him. Trump administration went off after him, and now the Biden administration's going after him. An ongoing theme today will be what we were talking about uh, to some extent last segment, and that's ignoring the realities in front of our faces and why government officials do that. And there are a couple of reasons. Number one, there's just protecting them, covering their own butts. There's also naked self-interest, and I'm reminded of that. I'm going to talk about the bums and junkies. And the uh, the amount of money that's being budgeted to uh, to solve the homeless problem in various parts of America, and it's now running into the tens of billions of dollars. The one of the great Armstrong and Getty principles, eleven dash C, is that if money is spent, somebody's getting it. Who's getting it? What are they doing with it? Is it doing any good? Who's getting all this money? Why did you choose them? Right, right. I bring this up because a new report is out by the Bay Area Council. Now, this is the Bay Area of uh, California, one of the bum and junkie capitals of the world, along with Seattle, Portland, and L.A. And this uh, this think tank said it will take $11.8 billion dollars to house every homeless person in the Bay Area. They're advocating spending $12 billion and then $2.5 billion a year to maintain the roofs over the heads of the 35,000 or so people. I assume this is with the assumption that not one single new homeless person will show up in the Bay Area, even though you've set out you know, a bowl of food <laughs> to attract more right. yeah. homeless people. You've made it enormously comfortable and indeed lucrative to be a junkie or a bum. Uh, and yeah, yeah, you expect that number to stay the same. That's hilarious. It would be hilarious if it were not, you know, involving the theft of taxpayer money. I, I mentioned there's one bright spot, London Breed of, uh, San Francisco. She's the mayor. Um, it talked about the the huge amount of money she wants to pour into the problem, but she did also say that some of the money is going to be for enforcement. She said we can't have people on the street. Um, you either let's see where is the quote um, for those exhibiting harmful behavior, whether to themselves or to others, or those refusing assistance. We will use every tool we have to get them into treatment and services to get them indoors. We won't accept people just staying on the streets when we have a place for them to go. Like that? Right, indeed. That's a, a ray of hope. But this uh, this think tank that wants to spread around uh, $12 billion and then billions per year afterward are ignoring what Mike Kaufman, the uh, the mayor of Aurora, Colorado, wrote about, and we were sharing this with you the other day. There is no overlap, none, 
between the in-shelters trying to get back on their feet crowd and the tent city junkies. There's no overlap. They're different, they're different crowds that yeah. for some reason got the same name, homeless. Yeah, exactly. The tent city drinking, drugging, fornicating, stealing crowd, they want to live a hippie lifestyle like that. With no uh, offense to our hippie friends. They want to live like that. They are not waiting for government assistance so they can get back on their feet. They're not desperate for some little apartment at $500,000 a unit, L.A. Um, they are doing what they want to do. And, you know, at least London Breed went ahead and admitted, yeah, there's some people don't want any help. They don't want any services. And we got to get them the hell off the street. And until we recognize that truth in front of our faces, we're going to continue to see our parks ruined, our business districts screwed up, you know, people crapping in the streets and the rest of it. You've got to recognize reality. And I know you've gone to city council meetings in liberal towns where they they act like every single person who's right. not living in a 3,500-square-foot suburban home is, is a victim just, of our evil white supremacy capitalist system. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, anyway... I, I just the homeless industrial complex. It is the latest shiny object, the latest, you know, uh, what do they call it? The, the sinkhole money pit to throw enormous amounts of money at because somebody gets that money. It's spreading dollars around to firm up coalitions and keep votes rolling in. It's as simple as that. Wake up. Armstrong and Getty.